0: Hey friend, thank you so much for being here with me on the Infertility and Me pod. If you could do me a quick favor, fill out the survey that is linked with today's show notes. It is a yearly survey that allows me to create better podcast episodes, that allows me to get better as a podcast, and to also bring you the kinds of guests that you most desire. If you could do me the honor, friend, Of filling out the survey so that I may create a better podcast experience for you with each episode. You know that it's all about the healing together here on Infertility and Me. So I would like your input, and it would mean the absolute world. And it would mean that you can have input on future episodes going into the new year. Thank you, friends, so much for doing the survey. It shouldn't take more than five to ten minutes long, at the very most, very, very short, very quick, and to the point. You guys know I don't like bullcrapping around, so it's very straight to the point. Give me your feedback, and we will go from there. Thank you, friend. Have you been searching for a community that gets it? Join me, your host, Monique, as we get real about the emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual effects infertility has on its victims. Let's connect and heal together. I am one in eight too. Hey, friends! Thank you for tuning in to Infertility and Me podcast. Happy early Thanksgiving if you're in the states, or if you're overseas and you celebrate. Happy, happy, happy Thanksgiving and happy holidays to you guys. This week's theme is author spotlight, and today's author is Amy D. Klein, the author of the latest book, The Trying Game. You can find her book at The Trying Game book. Dot com published by random house amy wrote the book to help people better navigate their own situations and she's always written about whatever she was going through from jumping out of planes to the scary world of dating and as a health and lifestyle reporter she found that her first foray into the world of infertility fascinating and tumultuous she thought baby making would be quick it wasn't and three years and 30 columns later in the New York Times and stories in the Washington Post, Newsweek, Slate, and The Forward, she finally got and stayed pregnant on her fifth pregnancy. And now she just wants to help everyone else get and stay pregnant and avoid many of the pitfalls and mistakes that she made along the way and not to go freaking crazy. You know, we all know how difficult infertility is. Again, you can connect with Amy at the trying And then I just wanted to also read insert from Motherwell magazine that Amy wrote and it's called what the women in waiting room are thinking and it's an excerpt from her book but she also wrote the article around that excerpt her website so you can read this excerpt as well she's written a couple of other articles based on her book and done some excerpts I'm going to read this really quickly and then I'll have Amy on the line and it begins with younger than me older than me prettier than me richer than me it may be petty, but this was what was usually going through my mind when I was at one of my many fertility clinics. What else was I supposed to do during those endless waits? Why is that woman here if she already has a baby? I'd think about the frantic female whose wild child was running circles around the waiting room, reminding the rest of us of our empty wombs. God, that girl is so lucky. She can't even be 30 and she has so much time to figure out her fertility. I think about the fresh-faced millennial thumbing through her phone, really, you just never know what someone else is going through. When you're sitting in the waiting room, comparing yourself to others and fantasizing how their life and fertility journey is better than yours. You aren't seeing another person in all of her complexity. Here are their stories, young and infertile. That was so powerful because I often do the same type of daydreaming when I look at other women in public and as well as specifically infertility clinics and even the OBGYN clinics. You know, sometimes we get jealous watching other moms be pregnant in our OBGYN clinics. And it just triggers our own frustrations with fertility, but we don't know what they've been through. We don't know what they've gone through and how long it took them to become pregnant if there was a struggle behind it. And so I thought that Motherwell excerpt from Amy's book was very befitting for today's episode. And I thank you guys for tuning in today. And later this week, we'll have Ms. Brett Russo with another author of this week. And she wrote The Underwear in My Shoe Amazon's bestseller. And you'll learn more about Brett on Friday. Thank you, friends. So thank you so much, Amy, for coming on to the podcast today, dear. Talk more about your book and your own journey and just your thoughts and wisdom around infertility as a whole, you know, with the holidays coming upon us very quickly here. I know that a lot of people are probably struggling. And so you being a writer, I know that you think a lot. You have a lot of thoughts around fertility. (laughs) So I appreciate you so much, dear. Thank you for having me. So, can you tell me a little bit about your journey, like? Uh, sure, I'll give
1: you the long and the short of it. Okay. <laughs> uh, the short summary is four years, four miscarriages, mm-hmm. three countries, ten doctors, nine rounds of IVF, and hundreds of thousands of dollars, and one baby. That's the short summary.
0: Ooh, girl, that's a lot. That's a lot. And then I
1: guess that's it could true. be three or four years. I always, I sometimes count. The last year of pregnancy as part of the journey, because, you know, you never know if it's going to, you know, after four miscarriages on your fifth pregnancy, that last year was still
0: very nerve wracking. Yeah, absolutely. Shoot, I still count it now. And we have a son, too. Um, and I counted right. it as eight years. You know what I'm saying? Because I haven't been pregnant exactly. since having him either. So I, I know you can um, relate with that. So, wow. So you guys probably already follow Amy and her work. So Amy, can you tell me what it was like writing this particular book? What's so special about it for you being the author and really writing it in this way?
1: What happened is to backtrack, you know, I started infertility. I started my journey, even though I don't like that word. I started it in about 2011 Mm -hmm. and 12. And it's hard to believe, but there was so little information out there and nobody was writing about it or talking about it then, you know, and it was so crazy to me because I'm a journalist and I, have covered health for a long time. And like, I can understand a lot of these like scientific health reports. But when I started going through infertility, I I couldn't believe that there was not enough information out there. Like there were these scientific articles that I could read. And then there were these like, it was before Instagram and there was no groups on Facebook. So it was like before all that. And there was just no one in the mainstream, no celebrities talking about miscarriage and no, no one talking about infertility or IVF. You know, like you read about it every other day today. Nobody talked about egg freezing because it was still experimental. So as a journalist, I just started writing about it because, you know, it's all consuming. I couldn't really think about anything else. And I also just thought, oh, my God, I entered this crazy world. And it's so secret and it's so private and I need to write about it. So I just started writing about it. And that's when my column in the New York Times started. Okay you know, that the editor and I were so naive because we were like, oh, she said, oh, you'll just write about infertility for like three or four months. And then we'll transition it into a pregnancy column Mm. because we were so naive. And we just thought, of course, that's how it works. And of course, that's not how it works. Yeah, because it took me like 30 more columns and it took me three more years. So we were so naive because, you know, when you're before you know anything about fertility, you just think, oh, I'll just do IVF and it will work and that will be it.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure.
1: Like I thought if I ever had a baby, I thought, okay, I'll write a memoir, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and to tell people about my journey. By the time we had our daughter in 2015, and then by the time I kind of, you know, left the fog of early motherhood, 2016, the landscape had changed drastically. You know, there wasn't just, there were Facebook groups devoted to every diagnosis, and there were... Celebrities talking about their infertility and there were Instagram, social media, and fertility experts, you know, not as much as it is four years later, but back in 2016, you know, why I decided to write this book was I just, it went from being no information out there to almost too much information out there. Does that make sense? Oh, and absolutely. I felt like,
0: yeah,
1: for sure. I felt like what I was seeing in a lot of these Facebook groups, because I was joining them, I was just seeing people feeling like really overwhelmed. Where do I begin? Where do I start? How do I find this doctor? How do I know if I even have infertility? My boss, my mother-in-law, my best friends. So, oh my God, I my story is important, but I think I just want to write the book that I wish I had and that will help everyone get through almost every aspect of the journey, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, yeah.
0: And how was it different? Was it any different from your regular reporting and writing, writing this particular um, book? You know, I'm... It's funny when you're reporting,
1: when you're reporting, you have to make sure your sources are correct and you have to make sure that everything is sources. And if it comes back to you, especially like old school reporting. Okay. What's interesting about the book is, you know, they just rely on you. There's no editor saying, where did you get this source from? But because I'm not a doctor, I wanted to make sure I didn't get anything wrong like you'll notice in almost every chapter i interview a doctor mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. every and and i and i made sure in every chapter that the doctor that was interviewed read the whole chapter right a funny story was like i have a chapter just really explaining you know ivs and dr schoolcraft who is the head of ccrm in colorado you know one of the most prestigious clinics oh yeah oh yeah um so i sent and you know i just I'm not a doctor and I just want to make sure to get the science right because I don't always understand everything. So I sent him the chapter just to review to make sure that not only his quotes were right, but the science was right. And he sent it back to me with like editorial and grammatical notes like, oh, you spell it this way. I was like, okay, thank you. So that was pretty funny. But I make sure in every chapter, almost every chapter, has like an expert, you know, on the chapter on male factor infertility. I have Dr. Paul Turek in San Francisco, who's like a very famous urologist on the chapter, like on egg freezing. I talked to Dr. Griffo at NYU. So I really try and I, you know, I try to make sure not everybody was in New York and not everybody was on the Mm -hmm. East coast. (laughs) You know, I have a doctor from Illinois and I have, Dr. Guy Ringler, who's like, you know, dealt with like gay and yeah. surrogacy like yeah. 20 or 30 years ago, talks about that. I speak to this doctor in LA who talks about transgender. Okay. So obviously I can't cover every single diagnosis. And I certainly can't cover like every single medical protocol because that's what those Facebook groups are good for. Like once you're in the thick of it, you know, right. if you want to discuss this medicine or that medicine, I can't do that. I'm not a doctor. But I can help with the emotional journey, and I can also help with like, what are the questions that you need
0: to ask your doctor? Because that's where I think people get like really overwhelmed. Hmm. Hmm. I, I totally agree, and I see it so much on Instagram, and it's it's almost like you know I I you know I, I always wondered why when you're you made your consultation for the first time, why aren't there little bits of pieces of information given to you by the clinic? Like no one's thought to do that yet and Is that con- true? they don't give out anything. They don't give you anything other than make sure that you have a list of your prenatals, whatever vitamins you're on, make sure that all your paperwork from your OBGYN has been sent in, but there's no what to expect for that consultation okay. other than I'm going to tell you, um, we're going to do some blood draws. We're going to do some ultrasounds and that's it. There's no things to maybe consider you know, before they come in, there's nothing like that for clinics, at least not any of the ones that I've been to. And the one wow. that I went to is really popular here in um, the D.C., Virginia, Maryland area. So, well, yeah. I'm hoping they give out my book, but you know, that's yeah. a good too. That's I mean, a a I do resource. have a whole
1: thing on like what what you can do before you get there, and what you can do when finding your doctor, and what questions you know you could even rip out the page, what questions to ask your doctor. I think what's so overwhelming, and I don't know if this is true for you. Tell me if it is. What was so overwhelming about the first visit is I felt like I had to learn the whole history of reproduction, you know, like a whole education. Wait a second. Let's not talk about fertility. Wait, let's learn how
0: ovulation works. Yeah, girl. Yeah, for sure. Because if you don't understand the basics of, say, middle school health, you know, what they taught you many years ago in the middle school, just basic stuff. of And you would be surprised how many people and women and men don't know what the breakdown of the cycle is and what the menses do and how how many days it is before men produce new sperm. All types of things that we just forget about, I guess. And then also, unless you've been the obsessive type like you or I, you know, we know we could pretty much take a a test on it and be pretty well on it. You know what I mean? So totally understand and agree for sure. I mean,
1: I thought when I started learning about it, I thought of all these times when I was like, I was so worried I was pregnant in my twenties and thirties. And then I, then I learned all about this again. And I was like, Oh no, why did I freak out? Mm -hmm. It was a day after my period. It was highly unlikely that
0: I was (laughs) pregnant. Yeah. But sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally agree. And so because you had to do so much research and this is after you've had your kids, were there ever moments that took you where you had like it just took you back to certain moments of your journey? Well, you don't like the word journey. So certain moments. We can use it. We all use it. (laughs) We have to say journey and we have to say infertility. We just have to. So were there certain moments where you were writing and you were doing research and, and it would just take you right back to a moment, a time a feeling of your, of, of having your children and trying to get there and suffering through all of that? I was struck
1: by like in the finding the doctor mm-hmm. and talking to other people. And I think maybe it changed a little bit, but like how important the personal relationship is, mm. you know, and I spoke to people like Andrea Sertash, who runs Pregnantish.
0: Yeah, and Jake yeah.
1: and Deb mm-hmm. who run Fertility IQ mm-hmm. and they all have, you know, and even Arielle Segal who runs co-fertility, like all yes. these three top, Resource, you know, informational yeah. mm-hmm. and they all, you know, like Pregnantish has a new survey that says that the main reason millennials leave their doctors is because of the patient relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, Fertility IQ also says, you know, if you take out the factor of having a baby It's the patient relationship that will lead people to give a negative or positive review, regardless of whether or not you had a baby. A year is 12 months of trying. And that's two weeks of like, that's two weeks almost waiting to find out if you're pregnant. So that's 24 weeks. You know what I mean? That's like a lot of agony and a lot of, you know, real hardship for especially someone who's like monitoring and trying. So I don't buy into that. I'm not saying that you need to start IVF right away or you need to start IUI, but I think, you know, there's a lot of things that we can do to check out. Cause someone said to me early on in my book, like, oh my God, you know, both my tubes were blocked. Imagine if I had waited a year and then I had to start treatment. Wow. Like you're starting that with a year of sadness under your belt. So I'm not saying that people should like run a month after they're not pregnant, but after like three or four months, especially if you're young, you know, there's a lot of things you could check out, you could get checked out before starting treatment, you yeah. can make sure your tubes are on you could check your hormones and see if they're at a weird, if you get the spurt, you know, these yeah. are things that are non invasive. And you could check if you have fibroids, or if you have you know, polyps, or if you have endometriosis, mm-hmm. or PCOS, these are all things that like, even if you try for
0: a year, you're still probably not mm-hmm. going to get pregnant. So you might as well like,
1: Stay one step
0: ahead. It's almost like being one step ahead of the game. And I, and I totally agree because I've been telling people a lot over the last couple of years, especially since I've had my son and I have single, like one or two single friends and they've never been pregnant, never, ever. And, you know, we're, I'm coming up on 40, they're coming up on 40 and I'm like, just get testing done see what's there, see what's not there, know your status. Just like we tell people to know their status with STDs, know your fertility status too before you choose to get into a long-term relationship. I think it's a duty that you owe yourself and it's not about the other person. It's about you knowing where your fertility status is, especially if you're coming up on 30 and you're a single man or woman, uh, LGBTQ, doesn't matter. Know your fertility status, know that. Right, like just know your body. Just know it, yeah. Yeah. I agree. We're and that's what the, was, that's one of the things I love about your book. You cover it all. Yeah. You really did. You really thought of it all. And so I think that your book is really impactful for those who've already read it and those who will read it in the in the future for that reason because it's all about advocacy. And then it's also being uh an advocate for yourself. We have to, we have to, we have to be aware and we have to know what's going on with our bodies for ourselves and then change doctors when you need to. Cause you changed doctors a few times too, didn't you? While you were on your journey.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. I did. I didn't change some of them. I didn't change fast enough.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys got to definitely know your status. And so the other part of your book that I really enjoyed reading was the excerpt and the article that you wrote for motherly. Well, and you were yeah. speaking about you know, judgments that we make about other women in fertility clinics or even even in just being in an OBGYN clinic and wondering about what someone else, why she's so young and she has a baby, what she's doing here and and just making judgments based on our own pain. I really love yeah. that. I really, really love that because I think it's so relatable. We've all done it. I still do it, you know, and I have to catch myself like, well, I don't know anything about their situation, you know, and if she has struggles or anything like that. And I think the journey just makes us more, more empathetic and aware like that too as well
1: funny because um I definitely wrote that chapter called the women in the waiting room it's like you never know if someone's like you're like oh my god she's so young she has so much time but the flip side of that is of people who I've spoken to are like well a we don't have any money Mm -hmm. and b we don't want to spend the next 10 years of our life doing this you know and c like we know something's wrong with us because at least if you're older and infertile they can tell you you're older but at least you know when you're young you don't really know mm-hmm. why, you know, when you're young, there's something wrong, probably. And then in that chapter, there's people who have to do IVF because they have to do genetic testing because they have a disease or they have yeah. cancer and they have to freeze their eggs before they go through treatment. Yeah. As women, we're often pitted against each other, mm-hmm. but feeling competitive, like, oh, why is she getting this? Why is she getting that? you know, oh, she has secondary infertility. She should just be happy with her first kid. I think people who have secondary infertility often feel guilty about wanting another baby if they already have one. And then they're talking to people who can't even have one baby.
0: Yeah.
1: So I think there's this feeling of like, and I think it goes back to like when people say, oh, why don't you just adopt as if mm-hmm. adoption is so easy or as a solution to infertility?
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And
1: I don't know if you saw So there was another excerpt that's on my website that's in the book called Baby Envy. And it was run in Refinery29. But I talk about like these ugly feelings that we have towards ourselves. Yeah. Um, did, yeah you know, and yeah. people say, why can't you just be happy? Like, mm-hmm. why can't you just be happy for her? That's what it started. My husband said it to me when a pregnant person told me on the phone that she was pregnant. Like, she wasn't even a friend. And he's like, why can't you just be happy for her? And I was like, I can't. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I've been doing this too long. So I think a lot of people are always telling us, oh, why can't you just throw your friend's baby shower or go to this wedding or attend that bar mitzvah? You know, why can't you just, why can't you just do this? And it's like, I want to just give people permission not to just, you know, I want you to, I want to give people permission to just be like, I'm having a really hard time. This is really hard. Infertility is a disease. And it has a lot of, you know, it has a lot of implications for suffering, but this isn't the pain Olympics, you know, we don't have to compare it to someone who has a heart condition
0: or cancer. Everything is bad and everything deserves sympathy, right? Oh yeah. And you know what, that, that, why can't you just statement? It's almost like, why can't you just suck it up? That's what I hear too. When, you know, when those kinds of statements are made, like, why can't you just suck it up? No, no, I don't want to suck it up. (laughs) Like... (laughs) I can't just suck up infertility like it doesn't work this way. And then the other article that I really enjoyed that you wrote when you were speaking about what infertility did to your marriage and what it does to marriages in in general and how we can almost sometimes destroy our relationships because of the pressure and the pain of infertility and I just think it's so crazy how women and men have different experiences along the time frame of infertility. Whenever before you conceive or if you never conceive, I just think that because we are wired so differently, it has a lot to do with how we deal with it. Okay. And I'm thinking that either a man is going to try to fix it, or he's going to be just as much of an emotional wreck as you are. And then, and then here comes all the arguments, you know, I remember um, reading that to you in that particular article about all the arguing and blaming and just just anger behind infertility and what it does to you and how it, it, it festers in your life. You
1: know, it's funny, I was taking my chapters, this was even before I sold the book, I took that chapter to my writing book, my writing group, and a very good friend who had no fertility issues whatsoever. She's like, I don't understand. What would people fight about? Like, I don't get it. What would couples fight about from infertility? I was like, okay, let's backtrack. Because I was under the assumption that everyone would understand that couples were fighting. And she's like, I don't get it. And I was like, okay, let me backtrack here. And that's when I try to like start to think about like what types of things people will fight about. Obviously, money is a big one. But I think you said it correctly when you said it's like the way people deal with things. the, The way the way they cope. And I think like maybe this is something that every couple would eventually learn about each other. Mm-hmm. Like you learn about it in maybe when, you ha- when you're when you a parent or you learn about it in another crisis, but this is like a crash course in the other person coping mechanism. Mm. And, you know, studies show that men are definitely more planners and women are and like a little bit more avoidant emotionally. Yeah. But, you know, I've seen it run the gamut. I think I see people talking about it all the time like who are just starting infertility, like, oh, my husband really wants to have a baby, but he's not willing to talk to me. Mm-hmm. He's not willing to listen to everything or come with me to the appointments. He doesn't want to talk about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Or
1: my husband doesn't want to do this again. We we always agreed we'd have two children. And he said, no.
0: Yeah. you yeah, know, Yeah. I went through that with my husband. He didn't want to do it at first either. And um, he just, he thought we could do it on our own and make it happen. He's really ambitious. So it kind of sprinkled down into infertility too. And I'm like, well, you know, you don't have any control over my body. You can't, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Go ahead we don't have any control. And this is before I even had a diagnosis, but then after I got the diagnosis, he was really like, okay, well, my sperm is working so we can keep trying, you know? And I had to wait four years. Like, come on, it's crazy. Let's do this, man. We we have the, right. the, the medical diagnosis. And I just think it's so funny that we, we, we see, you know, infertility, it brings out a side of your spouse that you, I don't think you would have, you would ever see unless something else traumatic happens, you know, knock on wood, we don't want anything traumatic happening, but You know, you really just don't know.
1: You might might see it in child-rearing. Well, you see something else in child-rearing. Yeah,
0: for sure. Sure.
1: sure. Yeah, you wouldn't see it, right? I I envy those couples who don't learn about it so much later.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I
1: think, and I'm sure you know this, like it's kind of important to know who or what you're dealing with from both sides. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like whenever I see, you know, people who are like really mad or upset at their partner, and it doesn't always have to be like, it could be a female, you know, it could be same sex partner. It doesn't always mean one special, one gender, you know,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: it's like, I think it's good to know, just like it's good to know your fertility, It's could kind of to know who your partner is if you're discovering it. So it's like, I kind of learned that my partner is not the like, I'm going to research everything guy. He's just right. not, he's like the, I mean, honestly, we're moving apartments right now. OK. And I'm like and he wanted to hire the movers because he thought he could get the best deal. Mm-hmm. Sounds like your husband. So we thought he could get the best deal. I'm like, but where are the movers? Where are the movers? Where are the movers? You know, so finally I just put, I just you know, I, he thought he could get a great deal. So finally I put together a list of all the movers that I got uh-huh. recommendations on and then he called them to find that he would get the best deal. And that's, you know, like for better or for worse, that's who yeah. he is. Yeah. You know, and I think the same thing with doctors, like a lot of times I was like, OK, these are the doctors that I got recommendations on. These are the ones hey, come meet mm-hmm. with me. You know, mm-hmm. and that's who he is. There are some other people's
0: partners who the partner would do the research. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm the researcher. <laughs> it's a wonder I never went to journal, uh, school to be a journalist or a reporter because I'm the researcher. I'm always researching. He comes to me when he needs some research for businesses. Yeah. Yep. And that's he <laughs> he's not going to like when I got diagnosed, he's not going to be that type of husband to find out what that means, you know, unless it's really burning inside of him, you know? And, okay. it's and then the time you're going to be the one.
1: Oh my and gosh. You could, right. You could spend all your time trying to teach him,
0: you know, how to do it. Or you could just say, okay, this is who he is. Yeah. I'm going to tell him what it means. Yeah. You know, it's all about picking and choosing your battles. And I think we really learn how to do that, really right. learn how to do that through these experiences, through these traumas that we go through together as a couple. And um, I mean,
1: you asked me what I learned, and I definitely in speaking to some couples, I see how some of them got through it in a much I didn't say it, we did it perfectly. You know
0: what I mean? Like maybe oh, I much, I a little bit more graceful, because I know we had plenty of arguments that were not related to what we were arguing to. We all stem from our frustration from not conceiving, right. you know, it right. just and, down you know, like
1: it. I could say the time that my husband smoked pot or something while we we're in fertility. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. look what I'm going through for my body. And you're like going to ruin your sperm quality. So yeah. That was a pretty big
0: fight. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that a lot of people deal with that, that blame and then the resentments. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree because I used to be a smoker and he used to say stuff like, well, maybe it was because of your past, you know, yada, yada, yada and i'm like okay but you used to smoke cigars so what's the difference right you know not everything right. and is explainable and
1: the, the blame game is pretty much as you know in life it's pretty much pointless in general
0: mhm um
1: but you can't right. avoid it
0: you know yeah you kind of have to like i don't know now i'm i'm a little older and i'm like you know even if it sucks and if it's like something you really don't want to talk about i really just like say it anyway just to get it out there and get it out of my head and 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 not let it Uh, fester. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not let it fester and not let it grow into something much bigger. And if I don't say it to him, I'll, I'll write it down and say it. Right. Oh, that's good. You know what I mean? Coping mechanisms like that. But can you tell us what is one or two of the biggest things that you really want people to take away from the book if nothing else
1: well I want to say like if you're at the beginning of your journey and you're worried and then you're reading all these things like first just stop reading everything okay (laughs) it's like don't it doesn't mean like just because you're listening to this podcast you know I think part of people getting overwhelmed they're like oh my god I'm gonna have to spend a hundred thousand dollars and the next three years of my life it doesn't you know if you're at the very beginning just let's take it one step at a time Mm -hmm. you know like one at a time don't panic I always say, oh, if you buy my book and then you're pregnant the next month, great, you know, use Mm -hmm. it as a door stopper or give it to a friend. Yeah. And then if you see that you're going to be doing this a little bit longer than you thought or you hope, then you are not at the beginning anymore. I think the important thing is to like, I don't love this word self-care, but I, I want to say take care of yourself. but in a really important way and that means that like take care of yourself and if you're in a relationship take care of your relationship because infertility you know it could take a long time and it could take a lot of mental it could take a lot of mental and emotional stress on your on yourself on your body on your partnership and you need to kind of like conserve all your conserve your energy and conserve your time because you're giving a lot of time and energy to this. So you have to like preserve it. So if there's someone who's getting on your nerves and they're annoying with too many questions, maybe it's time to take a break from them. If you can't go to this event, don't go. You know, if it's not gonna be good for you, then don't do it. So, you know, I want people to not panic and to really watch out for themselves and protect themselves because you have to remember, it's hard to remember, but this is just one period of your life, you know? And I know people used to say that to me and it's hard to remember because it feels like it's forever, but can't tell you how it's going to end. But at some point it will end, mm-hmm. hopefully with a baby and it might not end the way you want it to. Yeah. I used the donor egg in the ends for my daughter after four miscarriages although that wasn't the solution to my problem because i was actually the solution to my problem was an immunologist mm-hmm. to help me tolerate a bit pregnancy i didn't think i was going to use a donor egg because i kept getting pregnant so you might not have the family that the way you want it you might end up using a surrogate you might end up using donor sperm you might end up adopting you might decide you might decide that you know you're happy without you know you don't want to do anything else and you're just going to learn to live, you know, child-free,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that might be your decision. But this period in your life, it might be three years, four years, like you, unfortunately, eight years. It It is a finite, it has an end to it, is what I'm yeah. saying. Take care of yourself because it's, whether they say it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, It's a, yeah. it's a period of your life, but it will end. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Amy, for your encouraging words and your wisdom. And I hope you guys resonated with those words. And I think you will. And I think they're great reminders great great reminders and to and what i'm hearing also amy say is just you know give yourself some grace girl cut yourself some slack cut your spouse yeah. some slack especially now in the holiday times you guys need each other more now than ever to get through the holiday season it's very difficult oh my god holiday. the holidays
1: maybe the it's worst. better this year when you can't see everybody I'm you not know sure.
0: yeah you know i i think some people may feel like that i know i definitely do in certain instances um, I'm kind of happy. I got to isolate myself a little bit, you know, but and just focus on my my son that we have and and making sure he's good and stuff and keeping him safe. So and you keeping your family safe and and just trying to get through it all. So Amy, can you tell us where we can find you on social media and then give us your website name too again?
1: Sure. I'm um I'm sorry. Trying and Game Infertility and Book and I'm also the Trying and Game Infertility and Book on Instagram as well. And you could contact me if you have any specific questions and there. Are- excerpts from my book on my website and I'm always happy to help people with recommendations or you know steer in the direction and if you're into the audiobook and you like the sounds in my voice right before a lockdown I actually did my own audiobook on audible if sounds in my voice
0: doesn't drive you crazy then take a listen on the audible <laughs> Audible is the way to go, man. I'm telling you, I've just, I've listened to a couple of them and I saw that yours was audible too. Audible is really nice because it's just like listening to a podcast. You know, you can just keep moving and doing what you have to do and also get the information that you need. But thank you, Amy, darling, for doing the podcast with us today and letting us into your world and the process of the trying game and giving us a so I appreciate you so much. And I'm so glad that we had a chance to connect.
1: Thank you so much. Happy holidays.